Welcome to This Just In, the show bringing you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. And now, for the fastest voice in healthcare, here's your host, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these segments, I'll bring the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. For this episode, my 250th episode, we have a longtime friend joining us, who's also a very successful digital health entrepreneur named Mark Dorner, founder and CEO of Precise MDX. Welcome to the show, my good friend. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Phenomenal. Um, you've been a, a good friend for a long time. I could not be more excited for the show and also my 250th episode over the past, I think it's almost eight years now. I just crossed over eight years. So welcome, my friend. That's, that's impressive. Um, I'm really excited after 250 episodes, you finally reached out to have me on one. <laughs> oh, I know. I knew that was just, I set myself up for that one. Exactly. Um, well, timing is everything because um, when uh, we came across, we kind of reconnected um, earlier in the year uh, at a conference. And um, when you told me what you were doing and why you're doing it, it, um, it made a lot of sense. I was, I got, you know, excited for you. You're obviously one of the smartest guys I know and what you're tackling and how you're helping this corner of healthcare is very cool. So I'm glad we were able to make it happen. But before we dive in too far, um, my audience has not heard your voice before. So where'd you grow up, your background, train, all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm pretty old, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I, uh, I'm from New York originally. In my early teens, I actually moved to Israel. And, um, you know, you know my, I feel like my training came from two places. I served in a, a military uh, elite technology unit for five years in Israel mm. and really got good training in system analysis and software engineering. Um, but after I got out of the military, I, uh, I'd started a company and sold it. And then I'd moved to Europe doing ERP CRM consulting and running international for a large firm. And I feel like that was the second part of my training, working with these large top 10 banks, telecommunication companies, manufacturers, um, and other leading industries, and really getting, getting, uh, getting to gain from their experience over hundreds of years, some of them, in, in business. And I felt like that, that was the, the second half of my training. Um, and I really feel like that, that really set me on my path. Uh, as far as it comes to healthcare, back in 98, I moved to, uh, back to the United States to join a, a startup mm -hmm. called Relay Health, where I was chief architect. And I met Justin Barnes, who's awesome. <laughs> yes. And that was really my start on the, uh, McKesson later acquired that company, but that was my start on the, the enterprise healthcare technology journey. Yeah, that's uh, Mark and I met up. I was leading sales and growth for uh, at the time it was Helinx renamed the new renamed it uh, Relay Health. But um, we had a great time there. That was a great run. I actually say, I got my MBA um, from that experience. I mean, that was day one in the kitchen, you know, on Soft's kitchen table uh, in Dunwoody, Georgia. Create, you know, going through the blueprints and and saying, hey, we're going to do this thing. Three of us peeled off from actually McKesson to do actually four of us eventually um, peeled off from McKesson to do that deal. Three initially, one joined us later. But um, 
I learned so much from starting a company again, from, you know, the first dollar in to all the way to, you know, it's later on a sale, but just building out a, a team and, and, um, you know, all of sales, marketing, growth, customer success, account management. There's just so many components, um, that I learned and I learned on the fly and I get to work with phenomenal people like you. And then you and I stayed friends, um, forever. And it was great that, you know, various touch points wanted to always do something again, you know, in the time, uh, uh, arose. Um, and I know that's, you know, I'm sure that'll be out there too, but you know, you and I have a, a great rapport. So again, very looking forward to this show. Um, but we're so you mentioned relay, but where did your passion for healthcare come from? How did you, how did relay, you know, healings, relay health become, um, kind of the thing for you? So, you know, you know, in the start of my career, I've, I realized like two things. I, I, I generally like helping people and I like fixing things. And because I know technology, I use technology to fix things. And then when I was at Relay, I encountered kind of healthcare for the first time uh, on that side of it, not as a consumer. And I was like, there's a lot of opportunity to fix things here. And just by nature of fixing things in healthcare, you're helping people. So that really, that's kind of where my passion comes from. I like to use technology. I like to see complex you know, workflows and systems and see how I can make them more efficient. And, and I like doing it in healthcare because the outcome is you're making people healthier, you're saving them money. It's all good. I had considered at one point big tobacco, but I felt like healthcare was, was better. <laughs> That's great. No, actually, ironically, I had big tobacco knock on my door about three and a half years ago, actually three years ago. Um, I mm -hmm. same, <laughs> I did not take it. I, um, they want to leverage my brand in, in healthcare. <laughs> that was like a death nail. It's like, absolutely not. But anyhow, it's kind of ironic you brought mm -hmm. that up. Um, so, you know, you've helped, you know, a lot of, you know, health IT and health IT services companies through the years. How do you choose where to focus? I mean, when you, when you see a company, you see a strategy, what do you look for? So in general, I, I prefer product companies over service companies because mm -hmm. it's more scalable and you have more impact. And I feel like I'm very opportunistic. So I'll encounter a challenge and be like, oh, that's not working well. Is it a big problem or is it a small problem? Because mm -hmm. if it's a small problem, the impact's not large. But if it's a big problem, you're like, let's go and fix it. And then that's the that's the nucleus of, of how things get started. Um, and, I've, and I've had a lot of companies throughout my career and they've all started in the same way. Either someone has come to me with a problem where I observed one and then kind of thought about how I would fix it. And, you know, is it a large enough impact? And then you get into the financial side. Does this make sense as a business? You know, is it something I can do? Is it my strength and so on? That's awesome. And, and again, I love this. Is why I love doing this show because I focus a lot on healthcare. I think 80% of my shows are 85%, 90% now are probably healthcare and healthcare IT focused, but I have entrepreneurs and I also want to inspire entrepreneurs. So that's a great best practice right there is people think about, oh, I got an you know, idea or I can create a widget, but does your widget solve a large enough problem to build a company around? And, and most of the times it doesn't. And so you just got to, right. you know, have that as a, as a lens that you see everything through. It's, it's not an ego or not, trying to, you know, put it, you know, uh, you know, tell everybody it's not a good idea, but you got to look, it's not just about the idea. It's like, how can I execute this and can I execute this at scale to build a company around and also going to build a profitable company around this. And those are real important tenants to think about early on and do your product market research. Again, you might solve a small problem, that's probably fine, but don't go raise, you know, $20 million small to solve a small problem or, least, or go to market and kind of get, you know, smoked out and going, eh, that's not gonna work. Um, mm -hmm. This, you know, there's easy ways to sharpshoot 
you know, strategies in, in launching a business. And that's certainly one of them you want to look through. So that's a very good yeah. point. And you have to make sure you're solving a large enough problem that causes enough pain that it'll make your life easier. Like mm. you don't want to, you know, back in Relay, I feel like we were, we were before our time. Like yeah, we, were, we were doing in the late 90s, like online web visits, interactions with patients. Like nowadays, it's a no-brainer. But back then, it was like very, very groundbreaking. Yeah, we created the and, very first e-visit, the very first reimbursed yeah. e-visit. So yeah, but it was a real uphill battle. Now you think about you know remote telehealth and all of that. Everybody's like, of course, yep. we do that all the time. But back then, it was like I can talk to my doctor like you know electronically. Yep. I don't have to be there in person. Is that even going to work? So you know, I I I, I know that was impactful and it's important. Um, but maybe because I'm lazy, I don't like to take on like the large mountain to climb, but I like to kind of solve easier problems. <laughs> no, completely get it. So great you know, way to lead me in my next question. What's the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur in your opinion? Um, so I think in general, the hardest thing is, is there's a lot of chaos in the beginning and you have to have a very flexible mindset mm. and constantly kind of reevaluate re and make quick decisions because when, when you start as an entrepreneur, you're like, you're starting something new and you have a, you know, you have a theory. And as you go along, you either prove or disprove it. And you have to constantly adjust and kind of reinvent until you get to a size where you're, you're established. Um, for me personally, I'm very risk adverse for an entrepreneur. <laughs> so I, I don't think I like, I'm calculated. I'm an engineer. I don't like risk. So, you know, I've developed a flexible mindset, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's challenging. No, actually, that's a very good point. I mean, you, you, you do have to know, I call it stretching, know when to stretch um, and when it's worth it and, and when you don't need to, when you don't need to take on unnecessary risk. And that's, um, you know, I've worked with the same attorney who I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to be trying to poach him, but I've had him for 20 years uh, as my partner in, in various ventures. And he's awesome because he, he knows he can help me calculate the risk. I'm, you know, I don't know every risk out there and can quantify it myself, but between both of us and you get a small, smart team around it then you can certainly, you know, make the best decisions. And he, 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 he tells me, you know, you can step there, don't step there, do this, don't do that. And that way I kind of can stretch myself. I can push my limits a little bit without go falling off or, you know, going boom. So. <laughs> and I think, I think military background helps you quickly evaluate situations and make a decision because it's very important to make decisions. Yes. You don't want to sit on things like it, like indecision is, is the worst. It's better to make a bad decision than no decision. Okay. Uh, which you know. So I think the military, you know, teaches you to weigh things in certain circumstances where, you know, it's like life or death. And then when it comes to business, you're like, oh, that's, that's not so bad. It's not life or death. No one's going to die. I'll make a decision. We'll move forward. If I made a mistake, I'll correct it. Yep. Very true. Analysis paralysis. I've, I've always, you know, kept a very close eye on that inside my organizations. You know, you and I have worked together actually a couple of times already. And that's one of the things I loved about you. You know, you have a military background. I have a military background. Uh, it allows us to, you know, again, make decisions. This also goes back to a, a good best practice for everybody because we're actually going to dive into some best practices here coming up in a moment. But that also is, you know, analysis paralysis kills a lot of organizations. It's you've got to make the best decision that you can with the information that you have at that moment. And that's a critical leadership component. So if you can't do that, you know, you may want to balance out your leadership organization and team with people who can, because you got to execute You, you know, I, as I say, ideas are easy and execution is everything and execution is 90% of success is execution. It's not about the idea. It's not about the widget. 
It's about how do you get it to market? How do you build the team around it? And how do you set your goals and achieve your goals and then set new goals and just execute all the way along? That's success long-term um, as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. in a business. So at least that how I've been able to do it. And, and I know that you've been able to do it, but, um, but yeah, just making a decision moving forward. Um, and then, you know, correct. If you got made a bad one, that's fine. Correct yourself. I mean, how many stories and books are written about <laughs> someone I made 10 bad decisions. I made a hundred bad decisions, but I made that finally, you know, the hundred and first good decision or that first great decision and you skyrocketed. And so oh, yeah. you awesome. got to learn from your mistakes, learn from those experiences and then try not to have more of them. So, so true. For those that may have joined us a little late today, my special guest is Mark Dorner, founder and CEO of Precise MDX. So let's dive in a little bit. We're going to pull out the crystal ball. You have a great perspective on healthcare and you're now looking at some even some new areas of healthcare, which is very, very cool. But what do you see as some of the major themes or trends this year or over the next year in healthcare and or digital health? Um, so it's interesting. I've been in enterprise healthcare for about 25 years in, in Kind of all aspects of it um really you know the pandemic of the last two years has definitely accelerated certain areas of healthcare when it deals with telehealth remote patient care but what it's done is it has created this appetite for patients and and you know increased consumerism in healthcare and that's not something that's going to go back mm -hmm. that's something that's going to continue and you know I think, you know, throughout the years, everyone said, oh, the patient's the customer, the patient's the customer. But now that, you know, the, the pandemic's been a catalyst to make that happen right now. And, and that trend's going to continue, and you're going to see more patient-centric approaches to everything across healthcare. Um, and that's also combined with the fact that patients are getting these larger and larger deductible plans, taking on more responsibility, and getting more involved in their health financially and, and you know, just awareness-wise. Absolutely. Um, so I, I mean, how, how are you addressing that? And then how would you recommend someone address those trends? I would say, I mean, look at, um, you know, patients are people mm -hmm. and they use technology, not just in healthcare. So I would say, look at what they're doing outside healthcare and see if it makes sense. Um, you know, and a great example is, you know, when I order a pizza, let's say from Domino's, they have good mm -hmm. pizza. Um, they're not a sponsor of the show. No. When I order <laughs> Domino's, I, I have control and visibility. I make my order. I know how much it costs. I know that the order was placed. I know who, you know, who's making my pizza. They actually tell you the name on their tracker. Mm -hmm. I know who's looking at the pizza to make sure they made it the right way. I know who's delivering it. I know when it's outside. I know I need to get it. So that's a great experience for me as a consumer. Mm -hmm. I have full visibility and control. I know everything related to the pricing. I don't have to call anybody. It's very efficient and everyone's happy. You know, I as a consumer is happy. Domino's is happy because I'm not calling them to ask where my pizza is or if it's on its way. Um, so, you know, that that's a great example of consumerism. Then you look at healthcare and you're like, you know, let's say I go get a lab, you know, a lab, you know, laboratories, 70% uh, of clinical decision-making is based on laboratories. You go to your doctor, something hurts. They're like, let me run some tests, right? Mm -hmm. um, they take, a, take some blood, take some specimen, and then you wait. You don't know. You ask them how much does it cost? The doc's like, I don't know. I'm not the lab. I'm the doctor. I don't bill for it. Mm -hmm. But you need it. It's important. I'm like, okay, it's important. My doctor said I'm going to get get it done. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much costs. I don't know how long it's going to take. You know, if, I, if I'm patient, I wait a few days. If not, I call my doctor saying, hey, where's my lab? The doctor's like, I'm not the lab, but usually takes this much time. So it's a very 
bad experience. I don't have the visibility. I don't know what's going on. I'm annoying people. So, yeah. you know, so you, you look at, you know, what goes on in, in people's lives around them with social media and how they interact with commerce and, and retail. And then you look at healthcare and you say, how, how can I make this something that they expect, but they're also used to? Like, so you're not really retraining the patient. So mm-hmm. if you allow them to track their healthcare and give them visibility, they're like, oh, it's just like when I order a pizza, it feels comfortable for them and it, and it gives them a positive experience. And they're your customer. So you want them to be happy. Yeah. I mean, you see this with, um, you know, in transportation and Delta, you know, Delta, we do everything through the app, full transparency on pricing, everything down to the, the seat and my meal and everything can be, you know, appified or always done electronically. And I love that experience. And now I'm used to that experience. Same thing with Uber. We know our driver's first name and last, you know, the letter of last, you know, the first letter, of their last name. And mm-hmm. when they're going to get there, they track it. Everything's, you know, again, that goes back to consumers. And what, obviously we want that because we we're getting it and we love it. <laughs> so, you know, have yeah. that experience because my, um, yeah, I just had my lab done, my labs done, uh, my annual physical a couple weeks ago. And uh, I mean, I had two bad experiences um, with people trying to do this. I don't want to say LabCorp, but, um, but, you know, the last two times, first time I went in there a year ago, they didn't, um, I filled out all my paperwork ahead of time. I said, oh, this is really cool. They're using technology. This is excellent. I get in there and there's this tablet. So they said, type in your name. Like, I don't want to touch, I don't want to touch anything in that doctor's office. I'm sorry, but I'm just there for my annual physical or in that lab office. I don't want to, I just get my blood draw from, again, I'm not sick. I'm fine. I don't want to touch anything. Sure enough, I have touched this, this t- uh, touchpad to check in. My information was not there. I had to rekey in on this disgusting pad, all my health history, all my information. I was livid. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I got there. I mean, I got there a little bit early, but it took me 15 minutes to do that. That was, so that yeah. was, that didn't make me very happy. And then this last time, and, and cause I'm, I'm challenging, I like to call these people out cause I'm challenging them to step up. I've always done that. I, I'll point the finger at me, my industry. You know, I always challenge the EHR industry. We got to step up. We have to do things better. We think better, better workflows, all this kind of stuff. But, um, but in this lab industry, these guys have got to step up for, I mean, so like last one really quickly, <laughs> literally they said, all right, when you get there, text us and we'll tell you when to come in so you can sit in the comfort of your own car. I'm like, awesome. That's excellent. Great customer service and great consumerism strategy. I'm sitting, I get there, check in, then everything electronically online again. And, um, I text and they said, the text response back. Great. We'll tell you when to come in. You're here. You're checked in. We'll tell you when to come in. I waited about six, seven minutes or so. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to sit in my car anymore. And it's already past my appointment time. I'm just going to walk in just, just to be safe. Um, so I walk in and she's like, Oh, Mr. Barnes, we've been waiting for you. I'm like, well, you're supposed to text me. Oh, we did. I didn't get a text back. So go through my blood draw. Actually, I was very unhappy with the office, um, but I don't want to go down that path. But anyway, it was not very clean and ooh, it was weird. Bad experience there. But um, do my blood draw, get back out to my car. Like 10 minutes later, ding, I get my text. You ready for your blood draw? I'm like, you've got to be <laughs> kidding me. You're delayed 30 minutes. I would have been sitting in my car for 36 minutes or 37 minutes waiting for that text to come in. Thankfully, I went in there on my own. So yeah, there's a lot of room for it. That, that's actually a lab using technology. Never mind one that actually has one that, you know, it works well. So I completely agree with you. Long story, but I completely agree with you. <laughs> they, they had good intentions. They were trying to use technology to give you a good experience. Um, they just failed, but, uh, but the intentions were there. Right. Um, you know, it's funny you talk about the, the, the kiosks at the, the offices and, you know, oh. cause we're in healthcare, we know more than people. So, you know, you know, people going to that lab, 
are probably a lot of them are sick. Sick, yeah. And so you're like, so I don't want to touch the kiosk, and I have my phone. Why can't I just use my exactly. phone? Why don't I just use your kiosk? I right. mean, and as a consumer, you use your phone for for everything. Correct. So you're like, you know, I mean, when I was in healthcare 20 years ago, people talk about I don't have internet in the physician office, or people don't have phones. That's not that's not today. Everybody has a phone. Everybody uses it for everything. You know, whether you're a frequent flyer or it's your first time flying, you know, use the Delta app. It's just it's just more convenient. Um, but it's amazing when you walk into these laboratories and physician offices and you hear fax machines, you know, in the background, and you're like, why is there paper going from one place to another? It's just absolutely it's a little mind, a little mind boggling. Um, so yeah. No, completely agree. So what are a few kind of rounding out my trifecta here of questions on, on thought leadership and best practices? What are a few best practices or strategies that you can share to help, you know, others in this listening today um, navigate those trends? I mean, you know, best practices is, is, uh, is interesting because healthcare is such a wide place. Yes. When we're talking about consumerism, though, because that's kind of where we're focused, you know, let the patient have a voice. So... Give them the information they need to have control of their their healthcare from a financial and visibility perspective. Let them understand, you know, what they're paying for and how much they're paying, and and be part of the journey. And I think if you focus on that, no matter where you are in the in the healthcare, you're going to be successful because they're your customer. That's awesome. Um, so that, that's what I'd focus on. Just remember the patient's a customer, and you know what what would be the best experience for them. How do you elevate their experience? What would you want as a as a healthcare consumer as well, right? Just like you said, I didn't like this. I didn't like this. This could have been better. This could have been better. Um, and we do that a lot. We talk with you know we're all patients, but we talk to you know our customers. Now we work a lot with laboratories, but we also have worked a lot with physician offices and just say you know what what makes your day better? What makes your day worse? What 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 are what are useless things that happen? You know, um, you know my my wife's a, a physician. She's a podiatrist. And they use paper. And I was like, why? Why do you use paper? Like, oh, it's in the folder. It's nice and organized. We like it. And mm -hmm. I was like, really? And, and it, the paper, paper never gets kills. lost. Paper kills. Mistake. You know, you never get calls from wherever you're sending the paper to asking about stuff. They're like, oh, we do. And I was like, oh, now that you mentioned it, yeah, it's a pain. <laughs> but we didn't really think about it because it's not 100% of our day. It's yeah, right. 5% or 10%. Like, but but your day's so full. Wouldn't you like five or ten percent back to do other things? Absolutely. And and, and her staff was like, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, it's just kind of focusing on that. Well, paper kills. I mean, when you when you and I met up a couple months ago, and you just started talking about what you're doing and how you're focusing and where you're working with labs, in physician offices and in other organizations, it was just you know it's a no brainer because they're still using faxes. And I come from the world, you know, I'm electronic health records. I mean, you, you know, basically electronifying healthcare is what I've been doing for 25 years. And when you told me, Justin, they're still faxing, like paper is major in labs and paper requisition forms and, you know, paper kills, literally it kills people. Like, what do you do? How can you still be on paper? How can a lab test, all this stuff be on paper? Definitely kills trees, but it also kills people. Kills people. <laughs> I, I walked into a laboratory, they're a good size laboratory. And I hear this like dot matrix printer printing what? in the background. And I haven't heard one of those in like 30 years. And I was exactly. like, what and it's like and i was like how do you find parts for it like what if it what if what do you buy ribbons like what what is what is this ancient technology that i used in the military 30 something years ago that you're no we lie we printed and the doctors like the paper report and it's not even a real printer it's like and i don't know if people who are listening even know what a dot matrix printer is good point but it's a very basic it shouldn't be in healthcare printer. let's just say that 
Yeah, it shouldn't be anywhere. It should right. be in a museum. <laughs> what about, and we could be a couple minutes left here, about minute 30. How important is interoperability to what you're doing in data exchange? It's what I've worked on a lot yeah. in my past, so. Yeah, so as you know, interoperability is, is, is a big challenge in healthcare because it's big and there's so many systems and they need to talk to each other. And that's why a lot of times people fall back on paper because paper is simple and easy, mm -hmm. um, but, but really it's, it's key. It's, it's the way to connect the digital journey between patients and providers and laboratories and, and, and other care providers. It's really interoperability and you really have to come up with creative ways of, of getting getting around that because it's it's very hard to integrate systems a lot of disparate systems i mean i'm preaching to the choir here you know all about how many electronic medical record systems are out there and hospital systems and some are more responsive than others but yes. it, it is it is the key to to enabling everything yeah i did a lot of work on the cures act and just and, and through the years creating standards and enabling data exchange between these systems large and small it's critical to we need it as patients we need it as consumers we deserve it as a as a healthcare system because we pay this four trillion dollar plus tab every single year you know that's growing and expected to double in like the next 10 years something insane i mean how can you go to from four to eight trillion dollars and i think it's the next 10 years it's some it's pretty much insane so we've got to figure out ways to to scale um, and data exchange and interoperability is strictly is you know key for it, and also it's bottom line it saves lives. So, and I want to yeah, save my I, life to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, and and you know we want to help people, and and by by moving things to be electronic, you're helping people. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of studies on patient safety and and handwriting and paper versus electronic. So you're you're literally saving people. Yep. No, very true. Well, we're about to run um, run out of time here, but I will certainly have you back. I can't believe it's taken you eight years to join my show, um, but at least we finally uh, made it made the time for it to happen, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe it's taken you eight years to invite me on your show. <laughs> I love it. All right, my brother. Well, first of all, thank you very much. Congratulations on all your uh, on your new work and what you're doing with your company, which you and your guys are our building. Um, I know it's warranted. We'll I'm going to have you back so you can talk specifically about what you guys do uh, in the lab space. But I really wanted to have you this first time just talk about, you know, what you see, how you see consumerism fitting and, and really just kind of, you know, some of your thought leadership since the world has not heard it, at least from my platform before. So uh, thank you for taking the time, my friend. No, I really appreciate it. And, and, you know, thank you for being part of the solution, you know, educating people and, and, you know, improving healthcare. Thank you, Mark. And thank you to everyone for joining us. It's great to uh, just have you back and, and be back on air with everyone. Um, if you want to hear us more and join us, uh, you can hear us 2.30 2 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. each day. You also can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustinRadio so we can respond to your comments from the show. If you miss any of this episode or want to hear more, all my shows are posted at Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and tune in. And you can check out some of our recent updates at JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe.